this morning. Come on, let's put our hands together and really bless him in this place. He's worthy. Amen. Let me just say I'm happy to be in the house of the Lord this morning. And well, the psalmist said in chapter 100 of verse 4, it says this, Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. Did you come to bless his name this morning? 
He alone is worthy. No matter what you brought into this place, we're to enter his gates with thanksgiving. So as we continue to worship this morning, hey, just let your heart connect with the Father. He loves you so much and wants you to enter into his presence. Amen. Your love is devoted like a ring of solid gold, like a vow that is tested and like a covenant Ever be on my list, your praise will 
of our hope. You are the center of our life. Lord, you are our hope, our only hope. Lord, we love you. We love you. We're going to have a ministry time right here in the middle of our service, and we're going to call our prayer team down to the front. If you have anything that you need prayer for, for health, healing, for your job, for wisdom, we'd like to pray with you this morning. But I felt like God gave me a word for you this weekend. He told me out of Isaiah 3, verse 10, Tell the righteous, it will be well with them, for they will enjoy the fruit of their labor. I've come here to tell you this morning, be happy, and things will go well for you. Many of you have been struggling. Many of you have been frightened. Many of you have not known what was going to happen. But God wants you to know it's going to go well with you. And we want to pray with you this morning that you will once again receive the hope and the strength that you need to stand strong, to not give up, to not give in, to know that God is still on his throne and he will take care of you. We're calling our prayer team down to the front. And again, I invite you as we continue our worship to come forward and receive prayer for whatever you need. But if you need fresh hope this morning, if you need fresh strength, we would really like to pray with you. God bless you as we continue to worship. Oh, Lord, you're beautiful. Your face is all I And when your eyes are on this night, your grace abounds to me.
Welcome to Church on the Rock. We're so happy you're here worshiping with us today. In the chair back in front of you, we have a lot of information about our church. Our inside look lets you know everything about who we are and what we believe in. Our ministry guide gives you plenty of ways to get connected through classes, small groups, and outreach opportunities. If you are a first-time guest, please fill out the white card in the seat back in front of you, drop it in the offering, or you can take it across the hall to the Connect Room where you will receive a free gift bag. Don't forget about our coffee bar and snacks between Sunday services in the Connect Cafe. So glad you're here, and we hope you know that there's always a place for you at Church on the Rock. Are you looking to get more connected to the life of the church? Well, our Connect class is a four-week class on Wednesday nights at 6.30 in the Connect Cafe. Join us this week as we go over our beliefs and spiritual disciplines necessary for an effective Christian life. Amen. Anybody glad to be in the house of the Lord today? Amen. Good. You know, less than 24 hours ago, right here on this stage, we had a wedding, and it was Cole Yeldale, our youth pastor, married Brittany Jones, uh, daughter of one of our elders, and it was a great ceremony. But it's also a reminder 
That's a picture of Christ in the church. Whenever you have a wedding, that's what it talks about in Ephesians. And Jesus is coming back for a bride, isn't he? Is there a bride out there waiting for him? He's coming back soon, isn't he? Amen. You know, we're going to continue to worship the Lord with our tithes and offerings. I want to make this statement, just kind of let it uh, soak a little bit. Commitment to God and generous giving are closely related. Giving to God and generous giving are closely related. Let's look at Exodus 35, 21. And everyone who was willing and whose heart moved them came and brought an offering to the Lord for the work of the tent of meeting or the tabernacle, for all its service and for the sacred garments. So basically, people who were stirred, who were moved, came and gave to the work of the Lord. They were building this tabernacle, and it took a lot of resources. And you go to read through that chapter, ladies were bringing jewelry and earrings, and, and men were bringing, I mean, from lumber to gold to whatever it was. And they just kept bringing and bringing. As a matter of fact, it got to uh, chapter 35, and Moses said he had to restrain the people from giving because they started giving so much. They were, hey, we got enough. Everybody can stop. And as you know, we're in a building program right now called Imagine More. We just saw it on the slide. And we need about a million dollars to comfortably break ground and be able to proceed. And we're planning on breaking ground the end of this summer. We want to get cement down before it gets to be winter and rainy season. And so we've got, we're halfway there, but we've got a ways to go. So how many would just agree in prayer that we kind of kick it in another level in our prayer, maybe even ask the Lord to bless you more so you can give more and whatever it takes. But, you know, giving is kind of a test button. You know, pilots have a little test button that they can test their gauges with. Matter of fact, on our big bus down there, I push this little button and it shows me if all my gauges are working. You know, Giving is that test button God has to show us our commitment we have with God. And so listen to this last little statement. Generous people aren't necessarily faithful to God, but faithful people are always generous toward God and to others. Amen. You agree with that? Amen. God bless you as you give today. Instead of I want more of you, God. Is this just a feeling that we're talking about in a church service? No. I suggest to you that it's, Lord, I want more of your Holy Spirit to produce character in me, the fruit of the Spirit. That's in Galatians, love and joy and peace and kindness. Lord, I want more of you, more of your compassion that you have for broken and hurting people. 
Lord, I want a, a hunger for righteousness like you had. Lord, I want a hunger for lost people that led you to the cross. Lord, I want more of the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. I want to do like believers in the book of Acts. I want to be able to pray for someone and see a miracle. So when we sing this again, I want more of you. That's what we're talking about. How many know the greatest commandment in all of the Bible, according to Jesus, was to love the Lord with all your heart, come on, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength? Can you say, Lord, we want more? We want more. Come on, slip up your hands to heaven and sing it one more time. I want more, 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 so pour it out. We want more, 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 so moment and let's just have a personal prayer time with God so often we come to God and we ask him for something but can we just come to him and say Lord we want to love you with all our heart come on just say that out loud say Lord I, I just whisper that to God I want to love you more I want to know what it means to walk with you that old song while he walks with me and talks with me while the dew is still on the roses I, I want to know that Lord, I want to have a desire to get out of the bed in the morning and just to talk to you. Not because I, I, I need to pray, but because I just want to spend time with my Father. Lord, I want to know what it means to hear the voice of your Holy Spirit. We'll pray that right now. Jesus said that he would send the Holy Spirit. He would guide us into all truth. So, Lord, we want to know what it means to hear the voice of the Lord. Welcome today. I want you to just say, Lord, I give you the right to change me now. Come on, pray that prayer. God, God has a perfect life for us to live, but we've got to be willing to say yes to it. I want you to just say, Lord, I, I give you the right to change me today. If I've got some bad habits, if I've got some worldliness in my life, I, I want to just offer it to you now and ask the Holy Spirit to kind of clean me on the inside. I want you to just pray and just ask the Lord. Say, Lord, would you just take away sinful desires from my heart? I don't want to live in that where I'm constantly asking you forgiveness for the same thing. God, I want to ask you to change me on the inside. Come on, just pray that now. Change me on the inside. To you to just say, Lord, I know you've got something special for my life. I, I know there's more to life than just working and paying taxes and having some fun. I, I know there's a spiritual accomplishment for my life. I don't want to miss it. Come on, just pray that right now. I don't want to miss it. I don't want to be at the latter part of my life and say, I wish I would have. I, I, I want to get there and I want to say, I'm glad I did. Help me, Holy Spirit, today. Lord, I'm just kind of like a canoe and, and, and you're, the, you're the momentum of that river and I just want to paddle out there where you can just take me, Lord, downstream today. So I just simply say, Lord, welcome. Welcome here on Sunday in worship. Lord, would you just be welcome on Monday when we get up for work? Come on, pray that right now. Welcome, Lord, when I'm out on the ball field or fishing, having fun. I just want you to be the center of my life. In Jesus' name. Hey, how many know that's a prayer that God delights to answer? Don't you think? Come on, give him a big hand today. He's worthy of our praise, the Lord Jesus Christ. Hey, tell your neighbor you're glad to see him this morning, and you may be seated. 
Well, if you have your Bible, turn to the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 1. We're continuing a series on heroes, and I just want to publicly acknowledge one of my great heroes, my wife, Linnell. Yesterday, we celebrated 33 years of marriage, and she's still with me. That's 66 years between us. That's a long time. But a hero, by definition, is someone we admire for their achievements or their character. Uh, a hero is someone we want to be like. Uh, I don't know if you happened to see the, uh, uh, the basketball game the other night, you know, the, the, the final game, national championship, March Madness. How many saw that game? Is it Villanova, North Carolina? I, I want to show you just a little bit of a clip. How many couldn't care at all about basketball? Let me see your hand. All right, all right. I'm going to show you the clip anyway, so you just hang on. It's only about 20 seconds. But I want you to think about this. The score is tied 74 to 74. It's the last couple seconds of the game. The crowd is on their feet. The coaches, everything, everybody's on their feet. couple seconds to go. The national championship is on the line. Take a peek and see how the game ended. They go length of the court with Archie Diakono. Three seconds at midcourt. Jenkins gives it to Jenkins for the championship. Hey, that's pretty good. I don't even think I could do that and make it go that far. Chris Jenkins is his name, and I guarantee you he is a hero to people all over America today. A hero to everyone at Villanova, but if you're here today and you want to be an NBA ball player one day or you want to go to college and play ball, let me know this is a guy that you're going to listen to. When he's being interviewed on ESPN and he talks about how he works out, you're going to try to be like him because you want to do what he did in the last couple seconds of the game. Well, now how many know that's basketball, and I can virtually guarantee you uh, in a short matter of time, no one will even know who won the tournament. No one will even know who he was because it passes away. But guess what? Spiritual heroes are different. Heroes from the Bible are men and women who have, who have faced some challenge, who have done something with their life that someone I can patter my life after. And this morning, I want to talk about three heroes in the Old Testament from the book of Daniel. It's three guys named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. As we look at their lives, what you're going to see is you're going to see two dynamics at work. And I've actually entitled the message after these dynamics, Courage and Convictions. Now, conviction is a strongly held belief. Now, how many know your belief can be right or wrong? There's people in the world today. For example, yesterday I read that there are, uh, I think, 17 uh, attorney generals across America that are banding together in the fight against climate change, and they're going to prosecute the, the fullest extent of the law any company that even dares to believe that climate change is not man-made. Now, I think that's a little bit of a government overreach, and it's just possible that they may be wrong, though having great conviction. But how many know if your convictions are based on the Bible, the eternal Word of God, the Bible says of itself that it is the inspired Word of God, is what Paul wrote. It is without error. It is God speaking to us today. So when you form a conviction about modern issues, be it marriage or abortion or character in the workplace or how to respond to injustice in America, how many know that's a conviction based on the Bible and you can go to the bank with that? Now, the word courage as I'm defining it, is simply the courage means that we are doing what's right when everyone else does wrong. Doing what's right when everybody else does wrong. 
Well, how many know if you're Tim Tebow or, or an Olympian named Lolo Jones, uh, how many know if you keep your virginity until you're married, how many know that takes courage to do that? How many know it takes courage if you're at a party and they're passing a joint around and they say it's your turn, it takes courage to say no? Because the peer pressure, it would be, let me give you a piece of advice. It would be smarter if you got up and left that party and went to another one before the police came. Come on, somebody say amen. amen. But it takes courage to say no. It takes courage if people are making fun of the police or belittling the teacher in the classroom and you show them respect because they are a representative of authority. How many know it takes courage to do that? How many know it takes courage if your partners are pressuring you to overbill Medicare or to take advantage of a supplier? It takes courage to say, we're not going to do that. So as a Christian, these two words, conviction based on the Bible and courage to do what the Scripture says, to do what's right when others do wrong, if we can blend these things together, listen, we are embodying what it means to be a disciple. Because a disciple is a follower of Jesus, a conviction that what Christ said is the right way to go, and I'm going to have the courage to do it. So we're going to explore this this morning in a passage, an Old Testament passage in the book of Daniel, as we've entitled the message, Courage and Conviction. Daniel chapter 1, let's talk about godly people in an ungodly world. Now, how many know what makes us godly or righteous is not our own actions? How many know I can do good things, but that's not, that's not what makes me a righteous person? What makes me righteous, come on, is the forgiveness of God that Christ offered to me because of the cross. That I am the righteousness of God in Christ. It is an imputed righteousness. But yet for the believer, we are called to live a godly life, to live a holy life, even if the world is going in a different direction. Now, Daniel chapter 1, uh, the Bible is not only a, a source book of inspiration and truth, but it's a history book to us. It tells us what happened in the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel uh, reveals that what God said to Moses almost 700 years before it was written, God told the Israelite people this, that if you will walk with me, then I'm going to bless you and you'll have a prosperous life. But if you become idolatrous, if you turn your back on God, if you do your own thing, if you walk away from me, then sooner or later it's going to cost you everything. And the next 700 years, Israel would walk with God and be blessed, and then they would become worldly and fall away from God, and God would judge them. It's a discipline. And then they would come back to God. But finally, after about 700 years, they were sent into exile. And exile means that the Assyrian or the Babylonian nation came down to Jerusalem and took the Israelite people and took them back to a foreign country, and they were judged. So that's where we are. Daniel chapter 1, verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar is the key person here. Now, a king in the biblical era was not like a leader today. Uh, for example, our own president has a Congress, uh, a, a House of Representatives, and a Senate that share power. Uh, in England, they may have the Queen of England, but yet at the same time, they have the House of Commons and the House of Lords. Well, in the Old Testament era, if you were a pagan king, you were an absolute dictator. Everything you said was the law, and if people didn't go with it, off with your head. Come on, tell your neighbor, off with your head. I mean, it was like no questions asked. You didn't have the right of appeal. So anyway, so this king comes to Jerusalem, and he besieged it, which basically means he, he, he surrounded the city, and he took it over. And they took people as slaves. Now, here's where it gets interesting. The king ordered his chief of staff to bring to the palace some young men who'd been brought to Babylon as captives. 
Now, here's what I want you to see. Well, they're going to be trained in Babylon three years, and then they'll enter into the royal service of the king, and their names, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So, here's what I want you to see. We're talking about godly people in an ungodly world. These young men, they were teenagers, and they'd done nothing wrong. Imagine 16, 17 years of age. They weren't perfect. They were boys, but they believed in God. They were living godly lives. And now they get in a world system that is totally opposite from the Bible. It's like you're raised by your parents to, to uh, I don't know what, to treat girls with respect. And you're raised by your parents to open the door and, 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 and not to push yourself sexually on them. But you get out in the world and the locker room and everything, and before you know it, you're following the same crowd. You know, uh, in, in my own case, my grandfather was an alcoholic. He died an alcoholic, drinking a case of beer a day. He had a heart attack on the back porch with a pell cigarette and, you know, some, 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 some beer. Well, so I knew what the ramifications were. I remember one time granddaddy came home at night, and uh, he was drinking so much, and he couldn't even hit the brake on the truck, and the truck ran into the house. But yet, when I'm in the car as a ninth grader, and we're playing a district championship. I was the third baseman going to play ball. Came back home in those days. We didn't ride the bus. We rode a car. I'm with the 12th graders that are drinking beer. And before I know it, I've got one in my hand. We can know to do right and still do wrong. But yet these Israelite boys, what you're going to see today, is in spite of everybody else doing wrong, they're still doing right. And what I want you to see too is they were not exempt from going into captivity. Sometimes we wrongly think as Christians that if we serve the Lord, we're not going to have any problems or nothing bad's going to happen. When actually we're just living in the world. We're living out Adam's sin, but we're also living out persecution. Come on. We're living out hatred against the cause of Christ. Well, that's exactly where these guys were. And what I want you to see further, they were trained in the ways of the, of the world for three years. It's like going to a secular college. You remember the movie God's Not Dead? Remember the professor, when the professor said, here's what we're, how we're going to start the class. I want you to write on a piece of paper, God is dead. So he was taught by people that didn't believe in the true God. He was taught in our own day, it might be commensurate to, to uh, being taught that evolution is true as opposed to God created the heavens and the earth. So they were exposed to all this secular knowledge, and they even had their names changed. If you, the name Daniel was changed to Belshazzar. Daniel is a Hebrew name. Uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're all pagan Babylonian names, all suggesting some allegiance to their false gods. So here's my point. Everything around them was pagan, corrupt, and worldly, but everything in them was godly. And you can have that same experience in your life. Now, they were young believers in a world of unbelievers. Now, when I read the Bible, I don't just read it as a history book. I read it to say, okay, how does this apply to me today? And let me see if I can give you application. Uh, these young believers in a world of unbelievers, their biblical convictions and their allegiance to God was going to be tested. Now, when you think about Christianity in America today, Franklin Graham, Billy Graham's son, warned America in the last few weeks. He said, our, I fear that our end as a nation will be near unless we turn back to God. So what is our nation doing right now? We are fighting politically to try to see, do we want to continue in, in, in the uh, direction President Obama has taken us with Mrs. Clinton or perhaps Sanders? Or do we go in a different direction? Do we trust her? See, all of America now is engaged in this because we know something is wrong, something is broken, but there's not a lot of voices saying what we need to do is turn back to God. 
So this is kind of where America is. Uh, there, and, and also there's a growing hostility against Christians in America. Now, if you're blind to this, let me awaken this just a little bit in you. If you are a Christian, if you're in some public arena and you try to pray, it's pretty certain today that an atheist group will sue you to make you stop your prayer. There was a supervisor of a city in Michigan, public official, and after the ISIS bombing in Brussels. Now, how many know that was a horrible, horrible thing? When ISIS bombers, just for no reason at all, go in an airport and subways and 28 people are killed, scores are injured... So he simply posts a little prayer that we want to pray that God's peace and help would be with the survivors and the families. And he quoted a psalm that God is an ever-present help in time of trouble. His Facebook blew up. And a lot of it was because it was people saying, you have no right to be able to say that in the public domain. You have no right to force your Christian beliefs on us. Come on now. You have no right. You should just keep your prayers to yourself. Can I tell you, something is wrong in America. We have been taught wrongly the last few decades that there is a separation between the church and the state. That is not in the Constitution. It was a letter written by Thomas Jefferson, and it was not to protect the state from the church. It was to protect the church from the state's interference. Our First Amendment guarantees us not only the right to the free exercise of our religion, but also that the government would not restrict that right. So our educational system is turned upside down, and we've got a mess going on in America today. If you, if, if you publicly say you disagree with same-sex marriage, for example, uh, you're going to be called a bigot and a homophobe. You're going to be told that you hate people. Can I tell you this, friend? If somebody tells you you hate people because you believe in traditional marriage, you need to tell them, well, actually, I love them more than you do. Because I'm telling them the truth, come on now, that has eternal consequences. And what you're saying is just do whatever you feel like doing. And I'm telling you there's a loving God. Are you with me today? Not in self-righteous, condemning talk. Not in fighting someone in a battle. But saying as someone who genuinely loves and cares about someone, the direction you're going in is wrong. Can I tell you, you're going to face opposition in America today. In our own town, uh, Arkansas had passed that ordinance. Remember, we were trying to get it repealed so the people could vote on it. And uh, we had some of our own church members, and they were collecting petitions on state line. And uh, a car uh, from the, quote, other side drove through in the parking lot, cursed them in such a fashion that uh, uh, they wouldn't even tell me what they said. I mean, it was horrible simply because they were trying to stand on a biblical conviction in a kind and in a loving way. So would you say that, that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's day, there could be some parallels in America? Let's see what they did now because they're a hero that did more than win the ball game. They're people that changed the nation, changed the classroom, changed your school, your ball team. They made a difference. Daniel chapter 3, we're, we want to talk now about facing pressure to conform with conviction and courage. Daniel 3, King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide. Now, that's about four times taller than our ceiling. How I many know that's a lot of gold? And at $1,200 an ounce, we'd have a lot of money. <laughs> so he makes this big statue. Now, mind you, he is an absolute monarch. And what he's trying to do is he's not only the power politically, civilly, but he's also the religious power. And he's trying to make the whole nation be unified politically and in religion. 
And verse 4, a herald shouted out loud, listen to the king's command. When you hear the sound of musical instruments, bow to the ground to worship. Mind you, this huge altar, you bow down and you worship this golden statue. And here's the kicker. Anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Now, they didn't have a furnace like we do, a gas heater where you hit the switch and it warms the building. Most likely, this furnace or it was like an oven or a kiln. It was probably what they used to melt the, the, the ore to make this golden statue. But some scholars believe it could get as hot as 1,800 degrees. I mean, no, you can do pretty good with a steak. If you want to sear your steak and cook it quick, you heat that grill up to 700 degrees. It's about two minutes on this side. Flip it over about two minutes, three minutes, and you got something good to eat. Well, we're 1,800 degrees, and that's the penalty. You see, now there's a cost to live by your convictions. See, it's easy to be a Christian when it's no cost, no price to pay. But when it's going to cost me to be a Christian, the question is, what am I going to do? C.S. Lewis said this. He said, only a real risk will test the reality of your belief. In other words, if you say that you believe the Bible, if you say you believe God's Word, it's only when the cost to stand on that belief is great will you see if you really believe. Uh, here's what they did. They asked themselves, remember now we read, bow down to the idol. They asked themselves this question, should we bow or should we not? Now, I want to suggest to you, what does the Bible say about bowing to an idol was the right question. It is the same question that we should ask ourselves in any situation that we're in. For example, uh, I've been married 33 years. It's been good years, but it's not always been perfect years. But the Bible tells me to love my wife as Christ loved the church. Come on. That doesn't mean whether she's good or whether she's bad, whether she burned the spaghetti or whether it's great. Are you with me today? But we live by conviction. What does the Bible say? What does the Bible say about alcohol? Well, the Bible forbids drunkenness, clearly. The Bible says you'll get in trouble. It'll lead you in a ditch if you're not careful. Uh, what does the Bible say about marriage, about life and abortion and all these different things? Well, what I suggest to you is many of us in the Christian world have been more influenced by what the professor said, by what the media said or what the talk host says about modern-day issues than about what the Bible says. And this is where we're going. What does the Bible say? You see, for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when it came to bowing to an idol, it was biblical concepts and principles that had shaped their conscience and their conviction. But what's happening now in their day is there's a conflict between the kingdom of God and the world. What God told them and what they believed and what the world was demanding, it was a conflict. We saw that this week. The Pope issued an encyclical on the family, or he basically wrote a 250-page, or his whoever the authors were, of the Catholic Church's position on marriage and family, and it was consistent with traditional biblical teaching. But guess what? Some people applauded it, and some people who wanted a reformation in the family to modernize, as a progressive would say, they were against it. And, and, and this is what happens when the world collides with the Bible. Now, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had a simple choice to make. I can either follow the world or I can follow God. And we're going to see what they did, but there's pressure that goes with it. I want to show you a little clip of the movie, God's Not Dead. And it's about a Christian high school or college student who has is, who is found himself in opposition to a professor because the professor demands that he says, God is dead.
take a little peek at this as we try to make the connection between a modern-day issue and the biblical truth. Name? Uh, Wheaton. Josh Wheaton. Philosophy 150. You might want to think about a different uh, instructor. Come on, man. It can't be that bad. Think uh, Roman Coliseum. People cheering for your death. I am Professor Radisson. This is Philosophy 150. I would like to bypass senseless debate altogether and jump to the conclusion which every sophomore is already aware of. There is no God. All that I require from each of you is that you fill in the papers I've just given you with three little words. God is dead. Mr. Wheaton, is something wrong? I can't do what you want, I'm a Christian. If you cannot bring yourself to admit that God is dead, then you will need to defend the antithesis. Do you think you're smarter than me, Wheaton? Do you think there's any argument you can make that I won't have an answer for? I never said I was smarter. That's the first intelligent thing you've said. And I want to make this clear. In that classroom, there is a God, and yet I'm him. I'm also a jealous God, so do not try to humiliate me in front of my students. You know, I also checked up on your declared major one, pre-law. What exactly is pre-law? We don't award degrees in that. Don't bother answering. But know this. If you truly feel a need to continue with this charade, I will make it my personal mission to destroy any hope of a law degree in your future. Have a nice day. That's the spirit of the world today. That's the spirit of the Antichrist spirit that's on the earth today. It's a bullying spirit, but it'll tap you on the back and say, have a nice day. A 19-year-old student who believes in Christ and a 40-some-year-old professor that's intent on silencing his voice. It's the spirit of the world. Let's go back to our story, verse 7. At the sound of the musical instruments, all the people bowed to the ground, and they worshiped the gold statue. Now, can I tell you, the crowd is headed in the wrong direction. Jesus said in Matthew 7, you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad, and its gate is wide for the, the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow, and the road is difficult, and only a, a few find it. So here's your decision, Christian. I don't care if you're in high school, in the locker room, and everybody's making fun of someone, or if you're on the ball, wherever you are in life, we've got to decide who we're going to follow. Well, you know the story. Verse 8, the astrologers went to the king and informed on the Jews. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, pay no attention to you. Now, mind you, these men had been promoted, and they're in the, uh, the government sphere. They have a responsible government position. And they don't pay attention to you. They refuse to serve your gods. They don't worship the gold statue. And Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage and ordered Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be brought before him. Now, how many know not everyone will applaud your courageous stand for Christ? Not everyone is going to be happy when you are doing something right biblically, but the world thinks you're a nut. We're being told by the media, by universities, by our government, by employers to stop acting like a Christian. Let me say that again. Our culture is telling us in so many different ways, stop acting like a Christian. But the question we've got to ask is, who are we going to bow to? Come on, the God of the Bible or the King Nebuchadnezzar of the modern world? 
That's the decision. In the last 10, 20 years in America, Christianity has been presented basically this way. Oh, Jesus will make your life better. You don't have to change anything. All you have to do is say a little prayer and God will bless you and you'll be happier and your marriage will be great and you'll have money and everything is wonderful. But all of a sudden, America is shifting. Come on. And the pulpits need to shift with it today because we live in a nation today that has an open hostility to, to, to biblical Christianity. Everything Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have because of their position is at stake. They could lose their job. They could lose their money. They would suffer. Their family could suffer. They could even lose their life. I read this morning that in China, one of the provinces, the government has taken down a thousand crosses because they're trying to control religion. You read articles about Christianity in the Middle East and in places of the Middle East that have been uh, 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 the historical spots for Christianity, Paul's journeys. You can't find a Christian there because ISIS has become so strong, they've driven them out. Christian refugees are fleeing the countries. We live in a world today that has a hostility to Christianity. Here's the deal. There was no guarantee for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that God would rescue them. And let me say this. It's no guarantee for you or I that God will get me out of it if I make a stand for him. There's been Christians that have posted in favor of traditional marriage on Facebook and have lost their job. And it was a personal page. And the people at work said, we don't want people with your attitudes working here. Now, I'm not telling you you, have, you, you, know, you, you must enter every battle and you've got to engage in every conflict. But I am telling you this. There's going to be some times in your life as a Christian where God's going to want you to stand up. Amen. I cannot tell you every time there's a... There's an, I know a Christian businessman that was in a spot recently because of what he was doing. Uh, it, it was a company, you know, it was a, what would you call it? It was a franchise. And he almost got in trouble with the company for something Christian he was doing. And here's what it boils down to. Just because I'm a Christian doesn't mean I need to defy the world. But when the Holy Spirit tells me, here's the line... I don't want to bow down to that statue. I'm telling you, you serve a God that can deliver you from any trouble you might face in this world. But sometimes Christians go through the fire. Stephen, you remember Stephen in the New Testament? He was a deacon. All he did was preach Christ, and they stoned him. But in the middle of being stoned, the Bible says he looks up to heaven and he said, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Somehow his vision of Christ was greater than the rocks. And guess who was watching him? Saul of Tarsus, who the next day, the scripture records, was knocked from his horse and he becomes Paul the apostle. And he's the, he's the apostle to the Gentile world. Can I tell you, friends, our life is not just about being safe, cozy, and fun. I mean, our life is in standing for Christ. Look at verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, and imagine, uh, imagine now, they're talking to the king. And they said these words. They said, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, now this is inspiring, the God whom we serve is able to deliver us. Can you say God is able? God is able to help me with whatever I'm facing on his behalf. And then they went further and said, he will rescue us from your power. This is faith talking, but he says, your majesty. But notice this next phrase. In my opinion, this is one of the most profound scriptures in the Bible. But it says, even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you that we're never serving your gods and we're never worshiping the golden statue you've set up. 
Now, that, I mean, their faith is up here, but it's not dependent on what God will do. See, many people have faith as long as God does his part. Well, pastor, I'll tithe as long as God blesses my giving. You know, I'll treat my wife right as long as she treats me right. No, that's not the way it works. This is a conviction that I'm going to do right no matter what happens. It is where faith and sovereignty meet together. Now, here's something else I want you to see. They referred to this, 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 this ungodly king as your majesty. And what I want you to see is they had respect for secular authority or they had respect for people that differed with their opinion. When you differ as a Christian with someone in the world, whether it's a professor, a friend, a Facebook dialogue, listen, for it, we're not in a fight with them. We're not trying to win an argument, and they're not the evil bad people. How many know we want to treat them with respect because ultimately the most important thing to us is to win their soul to Christ, not just win the argument. Listen to what Scripture says, 2 Timothy 2. It says, A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but must be kind to everyone. And here's one I don't like. He must be patient with difficult people. Could you borrow some scissors for someone and let's just cut that right out of the Bible? Listen, a difficult person, you just want to knock them upside the head. Come on, just, it just, it just, it just feels good hearing me say that, a difficult person. But that's not what we're called to do as Christians. It says, gently instruct those who oppose the truth, and perhaps God will change their hearts, Amen. and they'll learn the truth. Now, I'm going to tell you, I, I, I have a past that I'm a bit ashamed of when I, in, in my early life, but I'll tell you what, God changed me, and I'm the way I am today because God changed me. And how many know the people in the world that are doing such crazy things and that are hostile to Christianity, how many know they need God to change their hearts as well? And that's, that's our mission. That's our mission. Uh, uh, I, I want to jump down to verse, uh, verse 19. Verse 19, Nebuchadnezzar was furious. And he said, throw them in the blazing furnace. Now, the scripture says that he got some of his, his guards to throw them in. Now, I want you to imagine the, the uh, defensive line for the Dallas Cowboys. I mean, big, tough guys, and they take these little Hebrew boys, and they throw them in, and the fire is so hot that it kills them. It kills the guards, but notice what the Scripture says, throw them in the furnace, but suddenly Nebuchadnezzar jumps in amazement, and he said, I see four men unbound, walking around in the fire, unharmed. We threw in three, but now I see four. Uh, the fourth looks like a god. Now, theologians believe that this was perhaps a Christophany, which is a, a, the pre-incarnate Christ. I mean, when Jesus came to the world, uh, Jesus was not a baby. He has been the eternal God, and many believe that this was God himself in the burning, fiery furnace with them. And here's what I want you to see from that. God is able to help you if you get in a situation that has the power to take and destroy your life. God is able to help you and deliver you from it. Hallelujah. The God who created fire. How many know the caveman didn't create fire? You know, ooh, ah, ooh, 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 fire. He didn't create fire. He uncovered the potential that God had created in what we call nature. See, the God who created fire can suspend the power of the fire. 
The God who created gravity, remember a story of the prophet in the Old Testament and the axe sunk in the river? Well, that God can suspend gravity and the axe head can float. You say, well, what in the world does this mean to me today? I mean God can turn America around, come on, if believing people will have convictions and courage to stand for their convictions. Because our hope for America is not just in our next election. Our hope for America is not in a political movement. It's not in a campaign. But our hope for America, come on, is in a visitation from heaven above. And that is the great hope that you and I have. And what I'm telling you, these men began to experience it because they had the courage to stand up for what was right. Let's keep reading verse 26. He said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God. Now, Most High God is translated as God Almighty, which means, how many know there's only one God? But in their world, there was a belief there were many gods. But Nebuchadnezzar even said, this is the God above all gods. He is number one. Can I tell you, if modern people... Did, I read an article this week, and it was, it was in a scientific journal. And it was, it was uh, 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 about... Uh, oh, I think it was about cosmology, but it was about creation. And two authors from... Uh, uh, I think they were from China. And these authors basically, they used the word creator. And the editors of the magazine were so shocked that they said that they just couldn't print the article. Well, these people that are godless in their belief uh, uh, about the Creator. Can I tell you this about science? I have great respect for science. But if your starting place is wrong, your conclusion will be ultimately wrong. And if your starting place in science is there is no God, and they build all these courses, come on, elementary and high school and college and graduate and postgraduate courses built on the assumption that there is no God, they'll get a lot of things right in the process that they've uncovered, but how many know ultimately their conclusion is all wet? If your starting place is there is a God, Genesis 1-1, and in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, how many know that is a biblical conviction? But if, if people in modern America today would see a demonstration of God's power, they would change just like Nebuchadnezzar. And it says not a hair on their heads was, uh, was singed, and their clothing, clothing was not scorched. The only thing that was burned on their body was the bondages, come on, the chains that had them bound and the ropes that had them tied up. God is able. It was a miracle. And God honored their courageous faith and he can do the same for us. You say, well, what would that look like, Pastor? In America today, it's as if nine men and women, currently eight on our Supreme Court, have become gods. America was set up so we would have three co-equal branches of government. But we don't have that any longer. It's like we the people... Uh, our founders gave us a nation that we the people held the power. We elected men and women that would make laws based on natural law, which implies rooted in the Bible. Godly people made laws, and they would be implemented by those that are ruling over us. But today, the will of the people is ignored. Today, natural law, the Bible is ignored. And nine men and women in robes tell us what's right and wrong. Now, imagine if the same thing happened today that happened in their day, and there's CNN's cameras are in the Supreme Court. You know the Supreme Court has, has the, the words of Moses on the walls behind it. All over Washington, the halls of Congress are scriptures. Imagine if we show those Supreme Court justices, and imagine if they're on their knees weeping before God. Come on. And they're crying and asking God for forgiveness. And someone goes to Justice Roberts, and they say, well, what's happening? What's going on here? What's wrong? We've realized 
realize that we've been sinning against God as a court for decades. We're asking God to forgive us, and we want to look in the eyes and the face of the American people and ask them to forgive us for leading the nation in a wrong and evil way. You say, that's impossible. No, God is able, according to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. God is the one that can turn this thing around. This is the application of a story like this. Now, let me wrap it up, verse 28, because God blesses courageous people who hold fast their conviction. You know, in a few minutes, we're going to walk out of here, and you're either going to live the way you used to live, or you're going to walk out with a resolve that I'm going to not only say I believe the Bible, but I'm going to live by what it teaches And when I get in a situation, if it's a classroom, it's social media, wherever I am, I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit what He wants me to do. And if He wants me to take a stand, I'm going to have courage, come on, just like He's called me to do. I'm not saying go out and start a fight, but what I am saying is if you are God, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, come on, it's time to stand up to King Nebuchadnezzar. Look at verse 28 now. Nebuchadnezzar said, praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue his servants. And here's the, it, probably the, the greatest encapsulation of the truth. They defied the king's command and they were willing to die rather than serve or worship any God except their own God. Come on, somebody say praise the Lord. Now, mind you, this pagan king says there's no other God who can rescue like this. And look at verse 30. Isn't this God? Then the king promoted them to higher positions. The kicker is the word then. I mean, I want to be promoted because of time and service. But in God's kingdom, you're not promoted because of time and service. You're promoted, come on, when you have the courage to stand by your convictions. And what we see in these men in this story, as I close this morning, is we see people whose faith was tested. But when it was tested, they passed the test. And God blessed them because they had courage of their convictions. Let me close with this, though. How would the story have been different if when the horn began to blow... They did this. How would the story have been different if they did this? First of all, they'd never been promoted. But more important than their promotion, they'd have been ashamed. They'd have been ashamed when they looked back in their life because they had, didn't have the courage to stand up for God. But more importantly, they would have missed the great opportunity to be a witness and demonstration of the power of God to the pagan people in Babylon. All they did was make themselves available to God, and God used them to do great things. How many know he's the same yesterday, today, and forever? And the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is your God and mine. Come on, give him a big hand today. He's worthy of our praise. Why don't you stand to your feet with me? I want you to just bow your head, and we're going to close this morning. I want to pray a general prayer with you. Then we'll have a personal prayer time around the altar for any that like to come. We'll sing one song and dismiss. But before we do, I want you to just bow your head a moment and say, Okay, Lord, what's this mean to me? Some of you, your mind has been wandering ever since the basketball clip. You're wasting your life, friend. You're living for things that don't matter. God is real. And He's looking for courageous men and women that have love in their heart for people 
but have courage in their soul to stand for what's right. Could we just pray right now again and say, Lord, would you help me to have courage? Come on, you just say that. I can't pray it for you. Say, Lord, help me have courage. Help me have the right convictions. Lord, if I have been influenced by the media or by a teacher or by anything other than scriptural influence in terms of right and wrong, forgive me. But help me have courage to stand. I want you to pray this. Say, Lord, would you help me to be able to hear the Holy Spirit and know what to do? Next time I see something on social media or in our workplace, I don't want to just attack people, but I want to know what to do. I want to know how to speak the truth in love. And I want my life to make a difference. Now let me offer an opportunity for personal prayer. Maybe you're hearing something and this message has has touched you in a deep way. Maybe God has been dealing with you in the past 30 minutes. Maybe you're being persecuted right now. Maybe there's pressure in your life to do wrong. It could be pressure from your family. You may be married to someone who doesn't believe like you do. And there's pressure and you don't know what to do. We'd like to pray for you today. We're going to pray that your faith would stand strong. And we're going to pray that God would show you what to do. But whatever it may be, friends, this altar is open for you. The most important prayer we'd like to pray today, though, is about your spiritual life. Maybe you're here today and you know in your heart of hearts you're not right with God. You don't know if you died today, if you'd go to heaven or hell. Can I tell you, friend, that's, that's a risk you don't want to walk out of this place with. Jesus Christ did something for you and for me 2,000 years ago. He paid a penalty for my sins. You see, it takes, it, it's sin that keeps people out of heaven. It's sin that sends people to hell. And there's only one way to deal with it, and that's either I'm going to pay for it with my life or I'm going to trust Christ that he paid for it in my place. And if you're here today and you say, Pastor, I need God's forgiveness. I need God's purpose for my life. I'm ready to commit my life and start following him. I'm ready to be a servant of Christ. If that's you, you need to be saved. You need to be born again. or you, You've gotten away from God. Today you want to come back. I'm going to encourage you when they start to play their song, I'm going to encourage you to just slip out of your chair, come right over to this cross, and someone will pray for you, committing your life to Christ. Someone will meet you there and pray for you. Let's just go ahead and begin to sing now. Our prayer team is coming to the front. If you need prayer for anything, just meet them right around the altar. Something in this message has touched you. But most importantly, if you're committing your life to Christ as your Lord and Savior, slip over to the cross. Somebody will meet you there. Let's sing together. You come and we'll pray for you. We won't embarrass you, but it could be a life-changing experience for you. You come and let us pray. Sing it one last time. God bless you.
glad he makes us brave. Amen. Well, if you need prayer this morning, our prayer team, they're going to remain around front. They'll be so happy to pray with you about anything that's going on in your life. But if not, hey, you're free to be dismissed. And we look forward to seeing you guys next week. God bless you.